Wonderful. Well, if you have um, a Bible with you, I invite you to open to uh, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2. Um, we'll be looking at uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 12 uh, this morning, um, very briefly, uh, but we'll read all the way from Luke chapter 2, verse 1, for the sake of context. So Luke chapter 2, looking at verses 8 to 12 uh, briefly, but we'll read from verse 1 for the sake of context. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Before we turn to the Lord in the text, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Will you pray with me? Our gracious Father, what a joy it is to hear this familiar story, but truly rich in meaning and inexhaustible story, um, because it is the story of your son becoming flesh, becoming a baby. We could spend our lives thinking about the incarnation, your son becoming made and still not exhaust its riches. Indeed, we could spend all eternity doing that, but I pray that even just this morning we would have our eyes open to behold your glory in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might believe the love that you have for us and that we might reflect that love to others. Father, be with us this morning. Glorify yourself in our midst. May we glorify you in all that we do, not only this morning, but all of today. May we gratefully relish all that you have given us, most especially the gift of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm not sure if you were at the, uh, the carols service uh, last night, but if you were at the carol service last night, you'll remember that we noted um, just how unexpected this visit from the angel to the shepherds would have been. Um, now you have unexpected visitors sometimes. Sometimes you hear a knock at the door and um, you open the door, and, and someone's there that you did not expect to see. Um, but of all the unexpected visits in the history of the world, this would have to take the cake. This would have to take the number one spot of unexpected visits. Just put yourself in the shepherd's shoes. It's nighttime. 
So there's very little to see. The stars and the moon, maybe the light of a fire. You're out in a field, so there's very little to hear. Insects, maybe the sound of nocturnal birds. Feet moving on rock, maybe a little bit of conversation between the shepherds. Everything is quiet for these shepherds at this point. It's, it's this feeling of stillness and serenity and um, peace. But then all of a sudden that stillness is shattered completely. I mean, this would have felt like a bomb going off, the visit of this angel to these shepherds. A terrifying angel appears before you, and light shines all around you. And these shepherds would have felt, this is it. We are already dead. And if we're not already dead, we're about to die. That's how they would have felt. God is about to take our lives. But as we saw last night, the angel delivers this wonderfully unexpected message because the message is not God is about to take your life. The message is ultimately what? It's the flip side of that. God is about to give his. That's the message that they hear. So it's this wonderfully unexpected message. But there's more here that's unexpected. The message is unexpected. We'll look more at that. But there's more too here that's unexpected. There's also, in a sense, an unexpected saviour and an unexpected sign. So that's what we'll be looking at this morning, very briefly, as I said earlier. Unexpected message, unexpected saviour, and unexpected sign. Firstly, unexpected message. Verse 10. Look with me at verse 10 again. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I don't know if you've ever watched an author being interviewed, but what they sometimes get, get asked is this question. Who's the audience for this book that you've just written? Who did you write this for? Is this just for someone specific, like you know, fellow academics, fellow authors, or is it for everyone? Ask that question here. Who did Luke write his gospel for? Who's his audience? Who's he targeting as he wrote his gospel? The answer is actually a very specific person. The answer is a man named Theophilus, a man who was probably a Roman official, a man who seems to have been struggling with doubt about Christianity. We don't know for certain all the details, but we do know his name was Theophilus. Listen to how Luke begins his gospel. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So that's the audience for Luke's gospel. That's who Luke is writing his gospel for. Possibly a Roman official who struggled with doubts about Christianity, a man named Theophilus. And Luke's gospel is written, as Luke tells us, to give Theophilus certainty. To help him with struggling with the doubts he appears to have been struggling with. All of Luke's gospel is written to that end, including verse 10 of chapter 2. The angel says to these shepherds, Fear not, 
for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You know, I wonder um, if, as Luke wrote these words of the angel, that he, that he thought to himself, Theophilus, that includes you. Theophilus, you're part of this. Theophilus, this is about you. You're part of this group for whom this good news comes. And whether or not Luke had that in mind, I'm sure the angel did. I mean, the angel did have him in mind. The angel, as he says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. The angel is speaking of Theophilus there, because all the people means all the people, including Theophilus, this Roman official. Not only that, it means us here this morning. And you know, that's one of the remarkable things about, about verse 10. All the people in verse 10 means all the people who will ever hear and believe the gospel. And never in a million years would the shepherds this night have expected to hear this message, would they? Never in a million years would these shepherds have expected on this still, quiet, peaceful night to hear a message from an angel regarding people and countries they've never even heard of. But that's what they're hearing. They're hearing about the gospel that brings great joy to everyone who believes. Theophilus included and us included here this morning. But what gospel is that? Well, we see it under our second heading, unexpected saviour. Look with me at verse 11. For unto you was born this day in the city of David, a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Verse 11 is the good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That unto these shepherds, on this day, was born in Bethlehem, a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. But ask the question, in what way was he unexpected? I refer to him as an unexpected saviour, but in what way is the saviour unexpected? Because when you think about it, in one sense, this saviour wasn't unexpected at all. God had long promised to send the Messiah. And religious Jews of this day expected a Messiah. They expected one who would come, who would be the son of David. So in what sense is this saviour unexpected? Well, it's in this sense. They expected a Messiah who would be an earthly king. They expected a Messiah who would save them from the Romans. Remember, the Romans had invaded and were now occupying their land. And they expected the son of David to be like David, to be an earthly king, to be a man of war. And though this savior that they're hearing about was born in the city of David, he was not an earthly king like David. He was not a man of war come to take the lives of Romans in order to free the Jews. That's not the kind of savior he was. Why? Well, if you think about it, that wouldn't be good news for the Romans, would it? If he was the kind of savior the Jews expected, one who would spill Roman blood to, to free them, that wouldn't be good news for the Romans. That wouldn't be good news for all people. That wouldn't be good news for Theophilus. It wouldn't be good news if he was that kind of savior. But what is good, good news for all people is that he's this kind of savior. He's the kind of savior who saves all men 
and all women and all boys and all girls from their sin. That's good news for all people. That one has come not to spill blood, but to have his blood spilled so that men and women, boys and girls, might be forgiven and made children of God. That's the kind of saviour that these shepherds are hearing about. One who was humble enough to take upon himself their sin so that they might be given eternal life. And we see that humility here. And so we come to an unexpected sign. This is our last heading. Look with me at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. I want to say something similar here about the sign as I did about the Savior. On one hand, this sign is to be totally expected. Notice the word born in verse 11. The event is the birth of a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so in one sense, it should come as no surprise that the sign connected to him have something to do with birth. Right? You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. It's to be totally expected that the sign pointing to the Savior, who had just been born, would be a sign that had something to do with birth. Finding a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. On, on the one hand, it's to be totally expected that this would be the sign. But on the other hand, when you think about it, there is a sense in which this sign, finding a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger, is actually unexpected. And I'll explain what I mean. Normally, a sign is different from the thing that it points to. You just think about it. Normally, a sign is different from the thing that it points to. Think about a sign on the motorway that says, in 200 meters, turn off to go to wherever it is. That sign is not the place that you're going to. And if you confuse those two, you'll end up in a ditch, won't you? Normally a sign is different from the thing that it points to. The sign is not the turn. The sign points to the turn, but it's not the turn. And if you confuse the sign with the turn, you end up in a bad place. But here, something really interesting is happening. Here, the sign is the saviour. Here, the sign is the Savior. Isn't that interesting? It's not that God said to these shepherds, here's the sign that will show you that what I'm saying about the Savior is true. And then he does some separate miracle. That's not what happens here. No. The sign and the Savior are the same. The sign to the shepherds is that they'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. In other words, the sign is the baby. The sign is the Savior. Now, why is that significant? I think it's significant for this reason. What you see throughout the Gospels, if you read them closely, is that Jesus' miracles, his signs, are never just naked displays of power. They never are. Jesus never does a miracle just to show off. He never does a miracle for no purpose, ever. Instead, 
his miracles, instead of being sort of naked displays of power, his miracles are always clothed displays of power. That is, they're always clothed with significance. So Jesus gives a man sight, doesn't he? And then what does he say in the context of giving a man sight? In that context, he talks about himself as being the light of the world. Jesus raises a man from the dead. And in that context, he talks about himself as the resurrection. Jesus miraculously feeds thousands of people. And in that context, he talks about himself as the bread of life. Each time, each time, his signs are clothed with significance. And the significance here is similar. This sign is similarly significant. The same Savior who was willing to be born in such humble circumstances is willing to die in such humble circumstances as this. Just think about it. In birth, he's in the place of animals. In death, he'll be in the place of criminals. At birth, he's laid in a borrowed manger. In death, he's laid in a borrowed tomb. And that's what this sign points to. It points to his humility. A humility that you see throughout his life, leading all the way to the cross. Because that's the kind of saviour that he is. Humble, gentle, and lowly in heart. And he is the good news of great joy for all who believe. And I hope you experience that joy, if even for the first time, this Christmas. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that we, everyone here, would behold your wonderful humility as it's revealed in the person of your Son who stooped not only to being born in a manger, not only to being brought into this world in the place of animals, but leaving this world, dying in the place of criminals. Father, we thank you that your Son is lowly and gentle in heart, and we pray that all of us would believe that, would see your glory as it's revealed in him, and would come to know the greatest gift that you have ever given the world, the gift of your own son and salvation in him. Not through our works, but through his works and his work alone. May we believe that gospel for your glory, for the good of our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.